market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant and I'm the political editor of The Scotsman and Scotland on Sunday. And Liz Truss has resigned. She will officially become the shortest serving Prime Minister in history after announcing her exit following just 44 chaotic days in power. I think our time will be remembered for resignations, screeching U-turns, market meltdown, all the while we face a kind of cost of living crisis uh, with families across the country heading into potentially one of the most difficult winters any of us can remember. So thankfully to talk all about this, to talk all about a frankly mental couple of days in uh, Westminster politics, I'm joined by Alexander Brown, the Scotsman's Westminster correspondent, and Hannah Brown, our political correspondent. Alex, I'm going to go to you first. I mean, what on earth? <laughs> what's it been like in Westminster over the last couple of days? And what's your what's your take on what's been happening? I mean, it's been really the most surreal and embarrassing uh, humiliation for the Conservative Party in recent memory. Hers as an appointment built on lies, really. We knew the trustnomics, as it were, was not something necessarily well costed. We saw in the leadership campaign, she announced plans to cut public sector pay for people outside London. The next day, when people went, actually, this is financially doesn't make sense. You haven't worked it out properly. They went, oh, actually, oh, that's you've missed you've misread it. We're gonna we're gonna drop that plan because people misinterpreted it. So the kind of writing was on the wall for what she was like, and those chickens have kind of come home to roost. In Parliament this week, Tory MPs, you know, would mention that. And I was sat in the Commons uh, for Prime Minister's questions, and I have never seen anything like it. When the Prime Minister came in, the cheers were deafening, the rahs, the more, more. And they were all coming from the Labour Party and the SNP and the Liberal Democrats, because they saw Liz Truss, much like Boris Johnson, as an electoral asset to them. The Liz Truss came out fighting. She was really angry at PMQs. She was gesticulating like Tony Blair does, or I'm quite prone to doing when I'm talking on a podcast. For those of you who can't see that, that's what I'm doing. And the Tory MPs just sat there. They looked miserable. They stared at the floor. They looked at their phones. The only time they mustered anything close to a cheer was when Ian Blackford didn't listen to the answer on the triple up pensions. You know, that day had started with James Cleverley, the Foreign Secretary, saying, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to you know, commit to the triple up pension rising in line with inflation. And then by PMQs, that was the party line. Even though the day before, the Prime Minister's spokesman had said, I don't know if we can commit to that. Things are being made up on the hoof. And, that, you know, on any other normal day, the main topic from that would be, Sajid Javid was going to answer a question, uh, I was going to ask a question even, at PMQs. And his question was in light of a briefing from Downing Street that he was never considered for Chancellors because he was a word that we can't say on the podcast. <laughs> Instead, that question was dropped by Javid after Liz Truss suspended one of her top aides. So, you know, she suspended an aide to save herself in PMQs. Any other day, you're like, wow, that's really embarrassing. Downing Street's on something bad, and they've just folded rather than deal with any ramifications. Instead, <laughs> the evening went absolutely postal after a Labour motion 
on fracking. And I I know that this is a bit of a, bit of a monologue, so I, I do want to bring you both in, but just being there <laughs> for this happening was unbelievable. Like this motion from Labour on fracking, like Tory MPs broadly are against fracking, right? You speak to Tory MPs and they're like, I've spoken to my constituents, I'm against it. And this isn't a surprise that they're against it. They'd publicly said they were against it. And there's no science for it. I mean, you know, the Tory's been in power for 12 years. There are people like Chris Skidmore, who is a junior minister for Net Zero. There are these people who have worked on the environment. And so instead of just having this vote and going, right, vote with your conscience or whatever, Downing Street decided to say this is a vote of confidence in the government. And it was a three-line whip. So suddenly all these people who weren't sure about fracking were being told, if you don't vote for them, you will no longer be a Conservative MP. Which is, you know, kind of writing your own suicide note, really. I mean, it was absolutely mental. And then from there, then just before the vote happened, the Tory party said, actually, no, it's not a uh, three-line whip. It's not a vote of confidence in us. Perhaps could worry they're going to lose. You had scenes of ministers dragging uh, Tory MPs into the voting booths. They were shouting. There were people in tears. Um, you know, the day had started with a Tory MP telling me, you know what, maybe things are going to be fine. And by the end of the evening, sending me a gif of a house on fire. Um, and then at half one this morning, the party said, actually, it was it was a vote of confidence government after all. We just, you know, it was a junior D- Downing Street person got their wires mixed up after the two whips both resigned and then they didn't resign. Uh, it was chaos. The Tory party's in chaos. They've got nothing to say anymore. Liz Truss is gone. Uh, I just, I can't believe they've done this themselves. Or everything that's happened, they have done to themselves. <laughs> I mean, Hannah, what's, what, what's your take on this? I mean, just to explain, we're recording this obviously on Thursday, literally just a couple of hours after Liz Truss announced her resignation. I think Wednesday, yesterday for us, was probably one of the most remarkable days we've had in Westminster politics and living memory. You know, just completely insane, as Alex says. I mean, what's your kind of take on what's happened and what, what do you think Liz Truss's legacy will be? I think my take after Alex spoke there is that we really need to be here for him uh, after going through <laughs> all of that. Um, I think this should be a nice kind of therapy session to make sure that, you know, we're there for him. But yeah, I think, I mean, Liz Truss's legacy is not even outlasting. I think I read a PR just there, a carton of yogurt. So I think, and, and there were some great, there were some other great kind of things like tin of soup, bottle of champagne that were mentioned that like have all outlasted uh, the Prime Minister here. But I think her, her legacy is going to be these huge uh, tax cuts that she just couldn't, couldn't deliver on and has just completely alienated a huge part of the population, if not all of the population on this. And specifically, you know, when we look at the kind of public discontent here in Scotland, uh, that is probably, uh, well, I can't help it, but I'm, I'm here in Scotland. I'm going into Hollywood all the time. You can't help but think here in Scotland, it's such a loud voice against her and even you know we even saw Douglas Ross today kind of coming out and saying that you know some, some something needs to happen here and things need to change and even Alistair Jack who's usually quite staunchly supportive of the prime minister's well recent prime minister so far is saying he's sorry to see Liz Truss go but it had to happen and he respected I think were the words that he used he respected her decision to leave and has not in essence, delivered on her mandate, I think is what you worded it as. So yeah, I think her legacy is just going to be full of, 
uh, just madness. I mean, people were texting me today. Contacts, uh, politicians were texting me today, just being like, "Hannah, I'm so sorry. Are you are you watching this? How are you even reporting on this? This is utter madness." And luckily, I've kind of been doing stories on food banks, but I think these are the stories that are going to matter here uh, once we come out of this. I, I mean, um, I've been talking to food bank operators who have been saying, you know, their supply is is very low at the moment. They're facing significant funding issues uh, because they've reached utter demand that complete demand for food banks right now in Scotland is huge. So I think that's also going to be part of our legacy. People reminded of a huge cost of living crisis and um, policies being introduced, undeliverable policies, impossible policies being introduced that seem to completely impact uh, those in the most deprived um, backgrounds. So I think that's a huge part of our legacy. I know that you, Alistair, were doing, were doing a story on Nicola Sturgeon's reaction to, to the trust resignation. And I think that was a really interesting point of kind of I guess it's it's a great point to show how she can use this and Alex mentioned it as a almost a launch pad for why other politicians can kind of put put what they want to happen in the face of kind of local uh, well national politics which is for Nicola Sturgeon her her independence campaign. Yeah, I mean, they all want, uh, they're all calling for a general election now. You know, understandably, I think a lot of people would understand those calls for a general election, considering we're having a Conservative Party, another Conservative Party leadership contest to sort out the mess created by a Conservative Party leadership contest. So it does seem like a bit of a ludicrous situation. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, Alex, was who do you see as the kind of runners and riders in terms of the kind of potential, potential people to step into that top job or to, you know, throw their hat in the, throw their hat in the ring? We've already heard reports of Boris Johnson it seems to be considering his chances, which seems to sum up the ridiculous state of current politics. We've got people like Rishi Sunak, Ben Wallace. Uh, I mean, who do you think would be the kind of contenders? I mean, I think it's really three of the names you mentioned are the contenders. Penny Mordaunt's campaign uh, have already tweeted, you know, that her camp, she's ready to go. She'd be a strong candidate and she's slightly inexperienced. But she's popular with members. She's kind of fun. She made the final three. Uh, I think she maybe would have made the final two if it hadn't been for uh, Liz Truss supporters possibly lending their vote to Rishi to get him over the line. That was an allegation that I've heard by a few people. Um, So she could be well-placed. Rishi Sunak uh, quite cleverly said nothing throughout uh, Liz trust of tenure even though it must be especially for such a small man he must be just like building up well and say i told you so i told you so i told you so because a thousand times thrice rishi sunak told us so um so he's i mean he you know it's his still his sport is supposed to be delighted uh, and they think it's a real possibility uh and polling actually shows that if uh, members had another vote he would win 60 to 40 against uh mistrust Whereas the final option, the nuclear option, which I think is perhaps the banter narrative option, is BBB, bring back Boris, which we've already had several Tory MPs on the airwaves saying he should come back. There's already a hashtag going. He is said to be um, amused and not saying anything yet, but he's enthusiastic and thinks he's ready to come back. Um, there was a briefing from a close friend uh, even an hour ago that said, you know, anyone who thinks it's not important he comes back doesn't realise the threat socialism would have to our economy. 
Um, it will be, of course, a great surprise to many people in the Labour Party that what they're currently offering is socialism. And also, if Boris Johnson comes back, the Tory party are never, ever getting back together, um, to paraphrase someone ahead of their world tour, which I would like to get tickets for if anyone can sort a brother out. <laughs> it is, he, he would come back and then he could still get done by the committee for lying to the House and then have to re- get removed in disgrace. He's already been removed in disgrace once. We could, we could see it happen again if he comes back. I mean, he does appeal to a certain section of the public, but all the polling shows, you know, the only party leader more unpopular than him was Liz Truss. So he is not the answer. Uh, there is no easy answer. Whatever happens, Tory party uh, are going to face pressure for a general election. And, you know, Starmer will be uh, prime minister, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, but I suppose, I mean, what is the the incentive for a general election as far as the Conservatives are concerned? I mean, what, what possible incentive would be they have to kind of go into a general election? They would be absolutely decimated presumably by looking at the polls i mean yes but now there's the element of public pressure right you've yeah we're having a third prime minister in i think two months that is unsustainable we've had however many chancellors they've been in power for 12 years it's not just that oh you know the tory party they've got an obligation to you know with this with the majority this big they don't really have an obligation to do anything but they've continued to fall on themselves and eat each other um because they're a party that is a broad church, but a church that no longer works. You know, the left of the party feel kind of insignificant. Jeremy Hunt is in now, but that hasn't really calmed things down. He might be slightly better at the dispatch box than Mr. Kwarteng, but policy-wise, there's not much difference. Um, and it's, you know, irreconcilable. No one is happy. And I don't see a way, I don't see how you can have a prime minister, how you can have a new prime minister and then stay for a couple of years when the polling is as it is, the economy is where it is, and just the pressure will be immense. Hannah, this time, uh, well, next Friday, next week, when presumably we'll have a new leader of the Conservative Party, a new Prime Minister, who do you think it will be? Oh, I mean, the immediate kind of thing that that popped into my head was ready for Rishi uh, there. And I can't help but think that it has to it has to go that way because um, he can kind of turn around and go, I told you so about a lot of policies that Liz Truss attempted to introduce. Um, so I think that will stand him in good stead. But it's one of those things that it's really hard to tell who who are the competitors. Is it really, you know, a big competition? And also, like, kind of going back to, to what Alex is saying on the general election, could this, I know that sounds bizarre, as they've, they've, they've said that they've only got essentially eight days to decide, could it be possible that they, they'll have to go that way because they might come to the point that there aren't, enough competitors or competitors don't step up. I don't know how plausible that is, but maybe this is just like the beginning of it. But I think it's I think it's ready for Rishi time, to be honest. I'd also say that it's not just, uh, you know, silly North London pundits like myself who think a general election is happening. Tory MP is talking about it. They think what's happening by Christmas. Andrew Brigden today said, you know, that whoever comes in, if they don't get it to get it right immediately, we are just going to have to have a general election. You know, we can't keep foisting leaders upon people there is an element of the party that despite everything still does want to be more democratic so i can see enough people supporting labor if things stay the way they are or get even worse alex you also mentioned the kind of febrile atmosphere at pmqs earlier in the week i think you spoke to the snp's alan smith uh, on the day of prime minister's questions 
Feels like a, a long time ago now, to be honest. But let's hear what he had to say. Hello and welcome to the Westminster Section Podcast. My name is Alexander Brown, the Scotsman's Westminster correspondent. And I'm now sitting in the frankly overly glamorous office of <laughs> SNP MP Alan Smith. How are you doing? I'm within the context of a world gone mad. I'm doing all right, personally. <laughs> How about professionally? We're recording this the day of PMQs. Are you feeling all right? Are you sorry for the Prime Minister yet? Or is it just still contempt? I don't contempt people lightly, I have to say. On a human level, I do feel for her because even her own side, or truth be told, especially her own side, uh, are now lining up to criticise her, having lauded her to the rafters barely a couple of weeks ago. But she's brought this on herself, and she's brought this on herself by being deeply ideological at a time when actually we don't need ideology, we need pragmatism, we need sensible people doing sensible things, not repeating and uh, amplifying the big lie that Brexit's going to go well, Brexit's brought us advantages. No, it hasn't. Let's, let's have a reality check with all of this stuff and get serious. So it, it, it's pretty grim stuff. My constituency surgeries are by appointment. So you want to see me, you'll get to see me. You'll get a phone call, you'll get a Zoom call, a visit, whatever else. So I had a number of those in quick succession uh, last week. And I had two people sobbing down the phone at me, so worried about energy costs, mortgage rates, inflation, lack of wages going up in, 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 in pace with that. There, there, there's a lot of heartache out there. And people don't want to see a pantomime, punch and judy, shouty, shouty stuff. I don't like Prime Minister's questions at the best of times because I think it just brings out the very worst in politicians generally. You know, the tribalism, the shouting, the yabu sucks stuff. And I, I, I think people need to see seriousness and actually engage with, look, there's, there's problems that we need to fix. There are solutions out there. Let's work on that. And what did you think of today's on that? Was it serious enough? I mean, the, myth, the thing I found most striking was the complete silence from Tory MPs. When the Prime Minister came in, there were very loud cheers, but that was from the <laughs> Labour Party. I think some of your own colleagues as well, perhaps, in making fun, really, of the Prime Minister and the weak slash <laughs> premiership she's having. Yeah, and I, well, I, I don't like it when the opposition do it. I don't like it when my guys do it either. I, I think it's unedifying. I don't do it myself. I'll do the odd here, here if I agree with something, but that, that's as far as it goes. And your listeners might, might know I was a member of the European Parliament for 16 years. The European Parliament is based on the idea that you're ultimately going to reach a consensus and you're going to win most of the stuff you're looking for, but you're not going to win all of it. So you need to engage with it seriously in order to actually reach a, reach a compromise, reach a, build the coalition. Here it really is winner, winner takes all and some people wear white hats, some people wear black hats in their own head and, and, and it doesn't actually lead anywhere. So, yeah, the, the, the derision that the Prime Minister got today I, I, I don't think is overly edifying and I don't think that's how we should be engaging. It's interesting what you say about a consensus. I mean, obviously, a little while ago uh, at your conference, uh, the First Minister got in trouble for saying um, that she, you know, she detests Tories. But obviously, here in Westminster, a lot of people work together. I don't know, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to like <laughs> have a go at the First Minister. <laughs> well, Channel, Channel 4 already did that. Right? <laughs> Do you find it weird to, obviously, you will work cross-party, behind the scenes, but then in PMQs, it's always very confrontational. There is no interest in consensus. You're completely right. It is a performance rather than genuine debate. Do you think that's a problem well, for per democracy? Performance is the operative word. And performance is how a lot of people will refer to when you're on question time, oh, that was a good performance. And it's, well, and I'm, I'm pretty lucky in my politics. I don't really need to perform that much. This is what I think about stuff. This is what I think needs to be done. And that's not encouraged at Westminster. It's not rewarded at Westminster. You don't get coverage if that's what you're looking to do at Westminster. 
So, so, so no, I, I think it's it, it, it's all pretty unedifying, and at a time when people need to hear serious people discussing serious issues seriously, I think we've got farce, and I think Scotland can do an awful lot better than this. Now, my party, obviously, we're pro-independence. We've got a constitutional agenda, which I believe is energising. It will build a coalition. It will put rocket boosters under our recovery from COVID. We put out a paper, you'll have seen uh, this this week, uh, the latest in the independence series about this is this is a scene setter for the economic stuff and uh, the, the advantages that independence will bring. And other people might well disagree. But there will be somewhere in the middle that there will actually be objective truth. Now, I think getting back into the European Union will be a huge advantage to us economically, socially, for our university sector, for all sorts of other things. One of the things we've got in Stirling, the place I know best, is a huge labour shortage. Every single business is struggling to keep staff and retain staff and, and find staff. Getting back into freedom of movement will help us objectively to fix that. So let's engage on, on that and have a discussion about what needs to actually be done where the Yabu stuff, it left me cold before I got here and it leaves me even colder now I've been here a couple of years. On independence, or at least, well, not right now, on independence, but adjacent to independence, everyone is seeing Westminster and the constant infighting and the Tories trying to have perhaps another prime minister uh, unelected by the general public. But they might not know what MPs actually do. And obviously, it's quite a broad remit, but in the backdrop of all this chaos, like what... What have you been working on? What has, what's, what's happening with you at the moment? What's, what are you trying to deliver in Westminster? Well, it's a broad remit, as you say. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I'm dinning into Team Sterling is that uh, we've got elected councillors. We've got Evelyn Tweed and Keith Brown as the MSPs who cover my district. I'm the MP. And look, you wouldn't go to Scottish Gas to talk about your water bill. We may well have similar titles and you may think all politicians are the same, but we're not a hierarchy. I'm not a court of appeal for local council decisions. Your elected councillors are the democratically elected people to oversee that. So we triage people coming into the office and we're having to, in in, in parts, just gently say to people, look, I've got no power over this. I've got an opinion about it. Of course Mm. I do. But actually the the person you need to speak to is, is, is this person. So, so a lot of constituency stuff is coming in the door. Where I can help is things like uh, businesses getting grants, businesses getting support, uh, where there has been uh, bounce-back loans and trouble with that, uh, HMRC issues. I'm not in charge of these things directly, but I am one of the people who oversees how they work. Mm. That's, I was making the executive work. So that takes a lot of time. Uh, Sterling as well, we get a number of people who get in touch about uh, immigration issues. Uh, lately, we're getting a lot of people uh, with uh, passports being slow getting back to them, driver's licenses as well being slow getting back to them. So we're able to nudge that along. Uh, my role politically at Westminster is I'm the foreign affairs lead uh, for the party. So I shadow, and uh, well, I shadowed Liz Truss until fairly recently, and now shadow James Cleverly. So I keep an eye on the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office in terms of what their output is, how they're spending our our public money. Uh, making sure that that's effective. So there's a lot of foreign affairs stuff going on in the world as well at the moment. So Ukraine's pretty high up my agenda, as is the continuing cuts to international development. Now, international development's close to close to our heart in Scotland. Diffid's based in East Colbride. We've got a lot of people who are very, very keen on international development. So that takes up a fair bit of time as well. So it's a broad, it's a broad old remit. If you're just walking in while your other half or someone else is listening to the podcast, the answer there was quite a lot. Um, <laughs> probably more than you or I are doing in our own time. Um, so, so finally, and this is a million dollar question, uh, this podcast goes out on Friday. By the time it's uh, in our listeners' ears, will we have a new Prime Minister? Or at least will she be gone? 
it, it's when not if, but it's always when not if, because nobody's yeah. immortal. I think she's blown it. Yeah. I, I think uh, she did have goodwill, uh, but then the, the deeply, deeply, deeply ideological budget mm. that her and Quasi Quartang uh, put through has blown it. Yeah. But what I don't see amongst the Conservative members themselves is a unified plan for re- succession. And I don't see an individual and I don't see a plan either. Uh, for them to replace either by a vote of the MPs or even a vote of the Tory party members, yet another Prime Minister just starts to look really stupid and laughingstock. I, I, I was uh, with uh, Philippa Whitford, our Europe spokesperson. We were over in Berlin uh, at the Bundestag and various think tanks and academics uh, over, last, over summer last week, and there was just blank incredulity at the way that UK politics is looking and sounding right now. And I'm afraid that I've seen Liz Truss when she was Foreign Secretary at every opportunity where she could put her own personal career interests above the national interests, be it over Brexit, be it over the Northern Ireland Protocol, be it over the trade deal with New Zealand, Australia. Uh, she did that. And the, the Northern Ireland Protocol bill is really close to my heart because it's, it's playing politics with a bit of the UK that is deeply, deeply, deeply sensitive. And she did it for her own advancement because it allowed her to look tough on Europe in the eyes of the, the Tory backwoodsman, which I think was, was, a, was a huge mistake on her part, but she won. So, so I think she's, she's there until she's replaced, but I don't see a replacement yet. So I think by Friday she'll still be, she'll still yeah. be in post. It's not so much that she's clinging on, it's that they haven't just sorted a replacement yet. She's there until someone else is available. Well, one, one, exactly that, but one, one theory I also heard was, uh, remember back in the olden days, John Major was the Prime Minister, he was not the leader of the Conservative Party. So it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility for her to be the leader of the Conservative Party, but not necessarily the Prime Minister. And in Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor, if reports are to be believed, which let's see, uh, he's ordered a cabinet reshuffle, uh, the the purge of the lightweights and and, and who who knows where where that's going to get to. But if that is the case, then maybe with a bit of a reshuffle and a bit of a rearrangement, there could be... Uh, putting her out where she won't do as much damage as she might otherwise do. But certainly, Prime Minister's questions today, she she didn't look like she wanted to go anywhere. I am all for Jeremy Hunt uh, getting the big job, if only because people so often pronounce his name wrong. I think it would just be great for that. Thank you so much for your time. Good to speak. Great to hear from the SNP's Alan Smith there. Uh, I think a lot of people will agree with his uh, dim view of PMQs, uh, particularly these days. I think just to kind of finish off this strand of conversation uh, and back to the kind of theme of a general election and the, the calls for a general election, which are coming from all directions now, to be honest, where do you think will be this time next year? Do you think a general election will have happened by then? Do you think Keir Starmer will be in power? Where, where do you think will be, Alex? So anyway, when we have a general election by next year? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't. I don't see how we don't. I don't see how you have someone come in and shore things up when the economy is such a crisis, the energy crisis is ongoing. It's not like having a new leader has any sense of stability because the Tory party is still at war with each other. The only thing that they could broadly agree on is that Liz Truss was terrible. Um, even if Mr Sunak takes over, how many awful briefings and dismissals were there about him from prominent Conservatives who will now be taken out of the Cabinet? It can't keep the, some of those people, like Jacob Rees-Mogg was so condescending about him you know, a popular person with the members, there is no way he can stay in cabinet after all the things he said. And if he does, oh, I mean, the briefings will be severe. So I think we have, I think it's just going to be next year. I, 
this is one of those things where we're in such uncharted territory. I can't give you a precedent. I can't say, as we all recall in the case of, you know, Canning, who was previously the shorter serving uh, prime minister, there is nothing. We are in uncharted territory, but the pressure will be immense. The Tory party are under such, such great scrutiny. And I, without any answers, uh, the opposition parties are going to keep saying, let's have one. And I don't know how they say we, no after having given us yet another Tory leader. Hannah, obviously Nicola Sturgeon's line was that there's kind of a, a democratic imperative for a general election, something that Keir Starmer obviously agrees with as well. I mean, do you think we have to have one essentially, that we've got to a stage now where the only way to kind of move on and to move the country on is to have a general election, to put it to the public? Well, I think issues, I think issues is too democratic a word here, but I think chaos that this clearly shows um, with what's happened with Liz Truss does really highlight um, a lot of problems that we have with our systems of, of, of power. And I think a point that I noticed uh, that was kind of circulating on social media was if the Tories can change their leaders in such a quick succession, then why can't Scotland choose to be independent? Why can't Scotland have that way? And it does raise a, a really strong point because there's clearly such discontent and such disparity, maybe not as much now, but even before uh, Truss or Johnson came into power, Scotland you could argue, did not want that. And de a lot of the majority of Scots did not want that leadership. Um, so seeing this kind of all turn out is just further infuriating people across across Scotland. Um, so I think there's definitely a really, really strong and to the SNP's benefit argument for Scotland to become independent here after this. Um, but I think what they need to do is they need to show it that they deserve it on their own terms. And I'm not so much sure that independence for many is the answer, but more so questioning how we elect people and how we allow people to stay into, in, in these systems of power. For example, totally relying on Tory members electing who we, are, who we have in charge shows that that is an issue, that is a main issue for so many people because they aren't representative of the population. And it becomes, like Alex is kind of saying, a, a, a complete joke and a complete farce if we, we continue, if we allow that to continue and to happen. I think there's a good standing for people to kind of switch to that pro-independent side, uh, given the complete chaos that's happening um, in Westminster. Well, a complete joke seems to sum up quite a lot of what's been happening in, the, in politics in the last couple of days. Well, thank you very much, Alex, and thanks, Hannah, and thanks very much, uh, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week at the same time. Goodness only knows what will have happened by then, to be honest. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs>